I love that music. Hey y'all, what's up? It's Chase. Welcome to another episode of the show. Hey, we had a lot of new uh, subscribers, so welcome. Thanks for letting me be in your ears. If it's the first time for you, enjoy going about your your action-packed day, whether you're exercising or at the office or commuting or whatever. Happy to be with you. And for my returners, my OGs, I'm very excited. It's my favorite day of the week, so it's an honor and a treat to be in your ears. Also honor and a treat, speaking of, this episode is boss. It's so good. So good for a number of reasons. One, the guest. Guest is my man, Ramit Sethi. Ramit, uh, he and I have been friends for maybe 10 years. Uh, he wrote the New York Times bestselling book, I Will Teach You To Be Rich. And this is a re-release, new version, completely expanded, and it's badass. A little bit of backstory on Ramit. Uh, Tim Ferriss introduced Ramit and I. We've been, as I mentioned, friends for some time. He helped me more than any other individual personal finance guru. He helped me personally route my money, automate all of those systems, help my wife and I, Kate, start saving, uh, not start saving, but helped us automate it and, and, um, and really start, um, being very responsible and not in the way that you think, not in like saving latte money. Um, he is, this is one of the things I love about his take on personal finance. It's splurge on the things that you love. We talk a lot about that in this episode. It's not about like what a rich, his definition of a rich life is not just having as maximizing money. It's how do you spend that money? What do you save and not spend money on? And how do you prioritize the things that you love? We talk about his exorbitant honeymoon, which um, is his version of a rich life on travel and luxury. Uh, And it paints a completely different picture than basically what I believe almost anything else you've heard about personal finance. Of course, we do talk about how to um, specifically orient personal finance around uh, creators and entrepreneurs. Um, we talk about, let's say, covered the rich life. Oh, man, we get into personal finance or not not just personal, but relationship finance, whether you're a um, in a relationship, uh, you know, married, otherwise partner, or just friends, how friends think about money between one another. It's fascinating. And again, he, this is a special gift that he has. Uh, another really cool element of the show is we do it in front of a live in-studio audience, part of his book tour. We drug him into the Creative Life Studios, uh, about a hundred people sold out, sold out joint. And uh, so there's some, just, there's just a great vibe for the show. And Ramit is just completely on fire. Um, this is the second time I think he's been on the show. One of the first ones was, gosh, like eight or nine years ago. And I think that thing has been downloaded more than a half a million times, if I'm not mistaken. Very, very popular because this topic, right, creators and money, um, it just it goes a long way. So you are going to, speaking of going a long way, you're going to get a ton of mileage out of the show. Uh, it's one of the ones you're going to earmark and, and listen to again, I am quite certain. And uh, so I'm going to get out of the way. Enjoy the show. Ramit Sethi, my good friend. Uh, is about to drop some knowledge on you. And uh, before we do, just a quick word from our sponsor. Check this out, y'all. This episode of the Chase Jarvis Live Show is sponsored by Creative Live for Business. This is different than the regular old Creative Live. So whether you love, passionately love where you work, or it's sort of like meh, or on the other side, if, if it's a creative wasteland and you want to inspire some change in the place that you work, you're not alone. Studies say that three out of four people, that's right, 75% of people say they're not living up to their creative potential at work. 
If so, I want to introduce you to Creative Live's newest product. It's called Creative Live for Business. And in a nutshell, it's a way to get access to all of Creative Live's content for your entire team and or entire company and maybe bring in some much needed energy and innovation to that team or company simply by going to creativelive.com slash teams. Now, Creative Live for Business is already in service of several of the top creative firms on the planet and a powerhouse list of many of the Fortune 100 top brands. These brands care about creativity and innovation. And you know what? These companies pay for this for their employees. So it doesn't matter if you're a team of five people, 55, or, or if there's 50,000 people in the company. If this sounds interesting to you and you want to check it out, either you can check it out or refer your boss to Creative Live by sending them to creativelive.com slash teams. Remember, most forward-thinking companies, they prioritize things like creative skills, like design thinking, leadership, collaboration, wellness. And again, with Creative Live for Business, you get access to all that taught by some of the top instructors in the world all on Creative Live. So again, you can visit or send your boss a link to creativelive.com slash teams to learn more. Ah, what a setup. How about it? I love it. Woo! Thank you for coming all the way here. Man, thank you for having me. I love being in this room. Isn't it a good it's one? It's amazing, yeah. What a, what a crazy Can we, I'm gonna, sh I'm gonna add, we're gonna go a little bit. So three months ago, four months ago, we're having uh, breakfast at uh, the Ace Hotel. Yeah. And you're, you're talking about your tour. Yep. And you're like, no live events. Or sorry, live events, but no broadcast events. Yeah. So you named a bunch of cities and I invited you at that moment. And you were really hesitant at first. No, that's not true. <laughs> share, share if you will. I, you know what? I decided to go on tour, and I haven't been on tour in 10 years. So You look great, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and I come out, and I realized the cities that I'm going to, it is amazing to get in the room with people. Yeah. And the people who come out are amazing. I mean, super fans. Got you people. And uh, I mean, like, yeah. it's amazing. Like, watch this. Who here has been reading I Will Teach You Be Rich for more than one year? Uh, okay, more than two years, more than five years. Wait a minute, you're, like, only, this is unbelievable. you're only four years old. That's not possible. <laughs> Anybody more than 10 years? We got, yeah, we look got at one. this, amazing. Yeah, OG's so in it's the like, house. They've really seen, yeah. they've seen a lot. And um, it means so much to me to be able to get in the room and to talk to yeah. people in different cities. But I also realized that not everybody can come. In fact, yeah. even here, yeah. this thing sold out. Yeah. And so I appreciated that you allowed us to be able to stream it. So no matter where you live, no matter what your situation is, you can see some of this stuff and, and apply it to your life. Awesome. And I'll just share a little personal sentiment before we get into the book a little bit. But uh, I will also go back and I think it was probably 10 years ago or so, 11 years uh, we were at a, an event that our, our mutual friend, Tim Ferriss, you were just on his podcast, I've been on his podcast before, a great guy. He hosted an event and we got, we were like literally got stuck riding in the, in the, in the bus seat next to That's each other. Right. We didn't know each other. So we, we were on the, we were getting bussed to dinner and I'm like, hi, I'm Jace. He's like, hi, I'm Ramit. And from that point yeah. forward, we, we stayed in close touch for the next six months. I learned more about, you just dropped the book maybe a year before that. I learned more about personal finance and how to automate a lot of the stuff that I was spending a, an inordinate amount of time and, and it was causing some stress in my life. And I was eternally grateful. You came on the show, I think it was 10 years ago? Yeah, long time. Nine, nine years ago. Uh, one of the biggest episodes to date. And then we were fortunate enough to have you here on Creative Live about five years ago now. Yeah. 
Only course you've ever done it outside of your own. That's right. Yeah, I mean, only you could have gotten me to <laughs> get up from my apartment chair and come out here. So I, I, I appreciate all those times and today too. Well, I'm going to start at the start, which is for um, pre the first ver version of the book, which yeah. is, is completely refreshed. I read it about 80 something new pages. Yeah. But how, you in 2004 started creating this material. What started that obsession with personal finance? <laughs> because I, honestly, I, I, I just, I'm, I'm curious, I wanna go into your past a little bit. What started your obsession with personal finance and helping people get better about money? Well, I'll tell you, I, the truth is, I don't wake up dreaming about Roth IRAs. It doesn't get me going. Uh, what does get me going is, I never felt like I understood the rules of the game. Yeah. Right. Like somehow when I grew up, there were some things that I was just naturally good at. I was, I'm Indian, I'm a spelling bee champ. That's a given, <laughs> all right? It was always gonna be a given, it's a given. Literally a champ, like you got you. I was number nine in Northern California. I'm a little bitter about it, so. That sounds like a white ribbon where I come from. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, this turned into a therapy session. We're going back. Spelling bee champ, okay. Okay, so, but then there were other things that I just, I was like, everybody seems to know this and the rules are not written down anywhere and I just don't get it. And I think all of us at one time or another have felt like everyone else seems to know and maybe I was absent on that day of school or I just don't get it. And when I look at the pattern of my life, you know, whether it was with money, whether it was with fitness, whether it was with all these different parts of life, I wanted to figure out how it actually worked. And money's a perfect example where there are so many people chirping in your ear and yet when you actually understand all the stuff of how it works, the truth is very simple. Yeah. And it's almost so simple that it's hard to believe. Yeah. So, so when I started off, I took you know, my college scholarship money, I invested it in the stock market, part of it, lost it, realized I wasn't <laughs> well, as smart as oh, I thought. you're glossing over this way too fast. <laughs> <laughs> I took my college scholarship, I invested it and lost it? Okay, so back in 1999, <laughs> everyone's a genius, right? Everybody thinks they're so smart, they're picking all these stocks, and the, I got this one scholarship that wrote the check to me. Here I am, 17 or 18 years old. Now that's a lot of money, you know? And so, so I, what, do, what do you do with money when you're 17 or 18? You put it in the stock market. At least I did. And I had an E-Trade custodial account because my dad had encouraged me to open it up, but I wasn't old enough. So I put it in and I thought investing meant picking stocks. So how do you pick stuff? I mean, most Americans think that's what investing is. Like you yeah. gotta sit around like it's minority report. Oh, le left, right, and that's not <laughs> what investing is, but I thought it yeah. was. Okay. So I picked these stocks, and every day back then, stocks are going up 5%, down 10%, and I lost half that money pretty fast. And it made me realize, number one, that was really stupid. Number two, man, there's a lot to learn here. Yeah. And so for the next few years, I started reading all the books I could get my hands on, all watching all the TV shows, and I was also studying psychology and technology in school. And I just realized that what everyone was saying just made no sense to me. You know, cut back on lattes. My friends and I did not want to live that kind of life, right? We wanted to go out. Yeah. And you know, coming here, I want to go out and see what's a great restaurant to go to. I don't yeah. want to have to sit in there and say, oh, let me open up my Excel spreadsheet and see <laughs> if I can afford $3. <laughs> I didn't want to live that life. Also, the stuff I was learning about human psychology just made me feel like the emperor has no clothes. Mm -hmm. You take any personal finance book and you open up chapter one, and what do they tell you to do in chapter one? 
find out how much you spent last month. And, and people go, no, thank you. Yeah. And they put it right back on the shelf. <laughs> we don't know how much we spent, but we know it wasn't good. That's right. And so I'm, I'm reading these things and I'm kind of dumbfounded. Why don't they understand how human psychology actually works? Why don't they start by talking about rich yeah. and what, what we want first, and then we can worry about the tactics of how to get there. Yeah. And so from there, even though nobody came to my talks in the early days, I finally um, started a blog, and then that became what it is. Is that 2004? 2004, right? August 2004, I was a college student, started writing the blog. You can go back, those posts are still live. No comments, nobody reading. But, you know, I think sometimes we all feel like we have a message that the world needs to hear. Yeah. And maybe even, we don't even know that the world needs to hear it, but we have it. And even the tiniest bit of, uh, just a pat on the back, yeah. just from a random commenter who says, you know what, this is cool, keep it up. Or a friend who says, oh, wow, I got to check that out. Like the littlest thing kept me going. And I remember when I got my first one, two, three comments from people I didn't know, I would have never imagined, you know, 15 years later that it would be a room like this. Wow. All right. So you established yourself as someone who wanted to learn, which is a trait for all of the people that I've had on the show that we have on Creative Live. That is a trait of wanting to pursue the thing that you love and wanting to know more, like this hunger, passion to learn. So you established that uh, early in college. You graduate college. Yep. And you start writing your blog. What like, how did you actually learn? Because you didn't, you, what you learned from blowing your, <laughs> blowing your scholarship money, what you learned was that in, you're not very good at investing. Right. You, it, you sink yourself into the industry. And how did you actually go from what I think of it in, in terms of there's two groups of people. Mm. You go from zero to one. That means you have to just like start, right? Because that's, how many, how many people here don't have an automated way to save their money? Look at this. Yeah. That's, this that's, is a self-selected room. <laughs> like the people who came here are freaks. Right. They're super the people freaks. watching, that's a better example. But yeah. the freaks in this room, they're like, I'm automated left and yeah. right. Every person, yeah. yeah. Most of the people who raise their hand are, are in the cameras here. <laughs> but but the, to start is one thing. Yes. And then to go from like zero to one. And then from two to 10 is just incrementally getting better. Yeah. Right? So what was your zero to one? Mm. What was your, like, I, I know this stuff. I learned it and I can teach it. Okay, so zero to one uh, for me was, first of all, just getting some basic fundamentals yeah. in place, which is um, I'm making a little bit of money, working summer internships. That money is just sitting in a checking account. What am I supposed to do with this? And, you know, oh, I'm going to buy this lunch over here or this pair of pants. Where does that come from? Like real basic stuff yeah. that most of us kind of take for granted. And what we mostly do is, we have a pool of money in our checking account. We spend a little bit, and at the end of the month, we go, I guess I spent that much. That's pretty much the limit of what most people do with their yeah. money. I, I started to go a little deeper. Oh, I can actually save $100. Okay, great. Oh, I can actually think like, what? which one is actually worth? Is it worth spending a little bit more because the quality is better? Okay, great. Zero to one was me just getting my financial house in order. And then as I started to talk to my friends in college, I would hear them saying stuff like, oh, I got 15 overdraft fees last year. And I, I remember those from yeah, college. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, everybody here who was in college and got an overdraft fee at 4.30 a.m. knows what I'm talking about. Yeah. And I was like, why? Why did, what, what's going on there? And what I discovered was that there were a lot of things I wasn't accounting for. Yeah. Because guess what? I wasn't getting 15 overdraft fees. So I started listening like a student because I was, I was just learning. 
And I started saying, oh wow, so some people have credit card debt, some people have this, some people have that. So I started building it into the way I thought about money. And back then I didn't have as strong of a philosophy. Yeah. It was just tactics, right? Oh, okay. I think that when you discover somebody who gets very good, when they go past one, they have a point of view. Yeah. And so after I got from zero to one, people started, people started saying like, oh wow, this guy talks about uh, spending extravagantly on the things you love yeah. as long as you cut costs mercilessly on the things you don't. That's, that's a point of view. Yeah. And that was the second part which has taken me to where I am today. All right, so let's, that, that's from zero to one. Yeah. And I'm gonna now, we're not gonna go linearly, we're gonna go all the way yeah. to the new edition of the yeah. book. Why put on a new, new edition? Like, what, what, what was the inspiration behind it? Why, I mean, I, I personally took a ton of information from the original book. I think I told you backstage, yeah. that's how my wife and I automated our finances was on the back of your book. But why, why do a new version? Um, I'm as surprised as anyone that I'm out here because when the first book came out, um, and that was uh, 2009, funny story, 2009, I don't believe in market timing, but that was literally the bottom of the recession. So if you bought the first edition of this book and you just followed the plans in the book, you are set for life. And that's crazy. That's yeah. crazy to think. Yeah. In fact, one of the things I did this time around was I went back to those readers from the first time and I said, yeah. tell me your stories. And the stories are amazing. It one is, guy, yeah. he's like, I'm, I retired at 35. My wife is 36. We drive around the country in an RV. That's my rich life. And to be able to capture those stories from men, women, different ages, different locations. Yeah. To me, that's rich. So, so the publisher came after me. They're like, oh, this book hit number one on all of Amazon. Like, what's next? And I was like, nothing's next. I am done. This like, is, it's all in there. Yeah, that, like, <laughs> I wrote it to be timeless because yeah. the greatest books that I treasure, I read them every year and I find something new. They reveal themselves to me. So I wrote this book for that. I wrote it so that uh, when you're starting out, maybe you have $10,000 in credit card debt versus when you have $600,000 in an account you will still find something here. Yeah. Well, the publisher doesn't like when you say like, ah, I'm good. So they kept calling, they kept taking me these nice lunches. Are they here? We need to be nice. We're, no, they're great, okay. they're great. Okay. I mean, I wrote the, the book because yeah. they're so great. Yeah. So good. after several years, I finally said, you know, like, I'm not gonna do it, it's good. About six or seven years into it, they said, hey, it's time, 10 years is coming up and people want freshness. And that's really what surprised me. And I realized in yeah. retrospect, they were right all along. People were emailing me every day saying, hey, I am thinking of getting your book, but like, is it outdated? And I'm like, outdated? Money? Yeah. <laughs> what? But, but then I, you know, I thought about it and I thought, you know what? If you're just starting out and you're thinking like, do these bank accounts still exist? Does Ramit still use that credit card? and some of it had changed. Yeah. So I, do cha I did change my account. I stripped some of the banks from the original version because they went dark, they went yeah. bad. Yeah. I took them out, you don't get my recommendation anymore. A lot of new things are out, crypto's out, fire is out. I got married, so my own personal life changed yeah. with money and with relationships. So the publisher was right, and this is the result of that. Speaking of married, yeah. can we go there? Yeah. You guys okay with this one? Okay. Um, <laughs> I, again, we've been friends for a decade. Of course, I'm like, so happy for you guys. Congratulations. Thank you. And as I watched you travel, that was one of the most extravagant honeymoons I have <laughs> ever seen. I, t I took six weeks for mine, but it was like mud hut six weeks, <laughs> you know? It was like, 
And I want you to tell the story about what you kept doing in such a nice job on that it kept reminding me what like being rich is to each their own. Yeah. And your rich life in that case, it seemed like this was a, uh, an experience of a lifetime. Yeah. So talk to me about you're, you're talking about saving money yeah. and helping people automate their finances. And then I won't say the names of the hotels, but I know the names of the hotels and they are fancy. So how do the, how do you reconcile yeah. those two things? Well, I'm first of all, thank you. And, um, that was definitely life changing for, for yeah. my wife, Cass and for me. And it was life-changing in so many ways. You know, what's, what's amazing is that uh, we sat down with some friends and we were planning to go on a safari for seven or eight days. And uh, we talked to these couples, they're a bit older than us, and they said, oh, that sounds amazing. Um, when we went on our honeymoon, we took six months off. And we're like, what? <laughs> and then the next couple was like, oh yeah, we took a year off. And I'm like, who are these people? They, I thought they were just normal. They'll know you take a week and go on a cruise and you come back that's, and you go right back to work. What yeah. everybody, so we walked out of that dinner and we looked at each other immediately. And we're like, did you hear that? And then we, in my head, we started, we went to this place of, this magical place of what if. And it was crazy and so ironic that I teach people how to expand what they think is possible. And I had artificially limited myself to seven or eight days. Why? Because everybody else does it. Yeah. And that is an invisible script that I hadn't even realized was a script. That's why it's called an invisible script. Right. And these friends who turned out to be even more meaningful than they could have imagined yeah. had challenged me. So we said, what if? And suddenly we went to a place of, it, it, it scares you when you say what if, because you know I have a company, I have a, an amazing team that runs things and I'm there every day, but what if I wasn't there? Cass has her own business. She's a personal stylist. What if she wasn't serving clients? Yeah. But we started to say, let's, let's just think about the possibility. We lived in a place of imagination and we made a list of every place we wanted to go and we suck at geography. So we put it on Google Maps and it's like, this is the worst travel itinerary on earth. <laughs> yeah, like it makes no sense. So we started chopping it off and then we found the places that we wanted to go. And, and I said, we should do it. We should find a way. And Cass was like, yes. What was amazing was independently, we came up with the idea that like one of our core values is family. And at our wedding, family was, was just, it was so important to us. Independently, we decided to invite our parents for part of the honeymoon. This is very unusual. <laughs> I didn't realize, I didn't realize how unusual, I've never been on a honeymoon. <laughs> Fair enough. So what are the rules? Touche. So, so we did it and it was so amazing. Our, our first of all, her parents didn't have passports. So wow. we were really kind of like carving new ground together. Yeah. And then, and we thought about when we had traveled as kids, we never took trips like this. We brought them to Italy. We said, just show up, we'll take care of the rest. And they got there, um, you know, her mom, we took her to the Vatican. And so it was just this amazing experience. We did all these tactile things, cooking classes. Why? Because we want to create memories that we will remember forever. To me, that is the core essence of our rich life. Yeah. Money, it was involved. We we're very fortunate to have saved money to be able to spend it. But ultimately, we never were thinking, oh, let's calculate some Excel value C4. No, let's create memories. And the money was a tool to achieve that. To me, that's the difference. Like, I, I, when I, prior to being introduced to your work, I, I wanted to learn, uh, 
core artist. Like, yes. and you know how artists and money, it's like oil and water, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and what you have done to me, this, the concept of a rich life is money as a mechanism for doing what you love. Yes. And what I loved, especially about your honeymoon is that I don't know about you, but if I ever overspend on something, anybody in the room have things that they feel like they overspend on that they're passionate about show of hands, like straight up. If Look at that. I love it. It's like 99% of the room. And that one guy who didn't raise his hand, I think he's got a, he's, he's lying to himself. <laughs> but to me, like I always felt guilty about those things and guilty about, about claiming them. Yeah. And your honeymoon was just this beautiful living example of not being ashamed. And you literally, you were, you were broadcasting every day. You were posting on social. Yeah, thank you. And, and I, I believe that we should be unapologetic about yeah. the things we love. You'll notice for anyone who watched that it was never like, oh, look at me on a boat. It was never that. It was, look at these beautiful experiences we're having at a yeah. cooking class or in a market, a crowded market in India. Yeah. Or look, at we're horseback riding with giraffe 10 feet away. The money part was not the primary focus. For sure. And, yeah. and in fact, if, if you're willing, I would love to ask this audience because I think this is a fun experience. So I believe that when people talk about money, a lot of times they start off and they talk about what you can't have. I'd love to challenge everyone in this room and everyone watching, turn to the person next to you and take just 15 to 20 seconds, tell the person next to you what you love spending money on. What do you love? I mean love, you can feel it. Tell them why. And if you are really bold, tell them how much you spent. Oh. All right, let's oh. just take 15 seconds. Let's just go through it quickly. 15 seconds for each person. Ready? What do you love spending on? What do you got? Mine is uh, travel and clothes. Okay. Oh, and co no, convenience. That's convenience. my number one. Okay, what's yours? Absolutely convenience. I pay fucking stupid money to yes. have people do things that I don't want to do. There you go. And it, uh, uh, un unreasonable amounts. Yes, all the time. Okay. but you, but like when you like, I can see actually from your company that it bleeds through. Yeah. Everything being organized yeah. that comes from the CEO. Ah, love it, love it. <laughs> Let's take ten more seconds. Chaos, but they're gonna love it. They love Look it. Look at the energy. This is this That's is great. awesome. Okay, let's bring it back. Let's bring it back. Everybody say shh. Okay, so whether you're watching at home or you're in the room, this is a very interesting experiment. Let me ask, who's willing to share what did you tell your partner you love spending on? What is it? Come on. Go ahead. Uh, music concerts. Music concerts. Okay, great. What else? Yes. Same thing as travel. Both of us had travel. Travel. Love it. Junk food. Junk food. <laughs> yes. I've never heard that. I love it. Okay, yes, in the back. What's that? My two sobs, they're cars. Oh, sobs, okay, cars, ah, great. Two of them, <laughs> yes. Fitness. Fitness, okay. Now, here's a question for you. Just think to yourself, what if I could quadruple the amount I spent on that? Four sobs. Four sobs. <laughs> <laughs> this is, I thought this was finance, he has two. If you quadruple, that's eight sobs. <laughs> what would it look like? What would it feel like? You see, so many of us, when I ask people, what is your rich life? The answer that they give to me is usually one of two answers. One is a generic word like freedom, or another is a number like a million dollars. 
And I like that, it's a good starting place. And I say to them, what does freedom mean to you? And the answers get really vague. Oh, I would be able to do whatever I want, whenever I want. No, what, tell me what? A million dollars, cool, what would you do with that? Where do you live? What time do you wake up? And what I challenge people to do with this, ex this experiment uh, is it, it works around this concept called money dials. And you can Google for money dials, I've written an article. Every one of us has at least one money dial, something that we just love spending on. And you can tell every single person intuitively knows, right? Yeah. Ours happen to be the same. Yeah. They're actually relatively rare. We both love convenience. And when you tell people what you spend money on, I sound like a serial killer. <laughs> like it's, it's insane. I'm like, I had like a Kinko's print out something and deliver it to my apartment and the entire cost of that was like 57 cents. They're like, why don't you just go downstairs? I'm like, I don't want to. Yeah. I love convenience. It sounds like a psycho, yeah. but I love it. Most people, the most common ones are food, travel. And so when I ask people, if you turn that dial, if you doubled your spending or quadrupled your spending, what would happen? And suddenly people start to think, their eyes go wide. They've never thought about the specifics. I've had people say, I would go to every Michelin-starred restaurant in the city. And then I said to them, who would you take with you? And their eyes, it was magic. They said, I would take my parents with me. That's a rich life. Yeah. For me, I would go on the trip of a lifetime. I would, my wife and I would plan it together. We would bring our parents. And then what I didn't expect on our honeymoon happened on the last day. We're in Thailand. You couldn't have painted a better picture. There's a sunset. We have our cocktails. We're watching it go down right in front of the beach. And Cass said to me, she said, you know, at the end of a trip, I would normally be sad. She said, but now I know that if we want to, we can come back anytime we want. And I thought to myself, there is nothing better than first having a sense of abundance for yourself, yeah. but second for your partner to have that abundance. Yeah. And for us as a team to know if we wanna go back, if we wanna take our parents, if we wanna go to a restaurant, or if we want to save more money and, and, and donate it, we can do that together. So like, to me, that's a rich life. Dang, that's serious. Let's get into tactics for a second because that was very inspirational. But right now, if you haven't read the book, you're like, okay, I want, I want some of that. <laughs> so I don't want you to go deep because we, we, we can't you know, do a 230 page book in, uh, in 10 minutes. But, Give us just a, a, the tip of the iceberg on this idea. For example, the concept that you shouldn't splurge on the things that you love, which you've already debunked. But just give us a couple of, of milestones or some markers along the way of how we should start thinking. I think that um, first off, getting the basics in order is about getting the right accounts. And it's amazing how resistant people are to changing their accounts. And yeah. you ask them why, and like, why do you stay at this horrible bank that's like predatory and was fined by the government, which I call out by name. And, and th the answer is, uh, my mom opened it up for me when I was like seven years old. I'm like, what? Yeah. Why are you staying with this <laughs> shitty bank? Get, get a life. Yeah. So, and people are so resistant, oh, it's gonna be a hassle. I'm like, yeah, it's gonna be a hassle for one day. And then the rest of your life is amazing. So get it, just, just get honest with yourself. Yeah. Get the right accounts. The places that I like to work with, people and places. And I'll tell you something. One of the, I have this thing I wrote recently called 10 Money Rules. And um, one of the benefits of getting your money in order for me is that I have a rule, never work with someone who I don't like and respect. And once I had more money, I was able to make that rule. So I believe you don't need a million dollars. You actually... 
You don't need that much at all. You choose the companies you want to work with. So I name the best companies. Get those companies. You can set up your automation system. The second thing is to start uh, thinking about growth. So many people, yeah. if they feel like, oh, I need to save a little bit, and they should, but that's not enough. Saving is not really uh, success. In fact, saving is sort of the bare minimum. And that's what I want to challenge people. A lot of people are not telling the truth about what you need to grow your money. So saving is good. You got 500 bucks, 5,000 bucks, whatever. The real way you grow your money is through investing. And a common misconception is that I need to be rich to invest. It's actually the opposite. You get rich by investing. So we talk about simple ways to automate your money and invest it automatically. And then I think the third and most challenging part is to really master your own mindsets about money. That's something I added this time. Yeah. I realized that last time in the book, uh, I had all these great tactics about, you know, use these words, call up your bank and you'll negotiate your APR lower or your late fees lower, or I even showed how to negotiate your salary. A lot of people get five, $10,000 raises. But if you grew up with a family who perhaps said something like, we don't talk about money in this house, or easy come, easy go, or any of these, I'll never be a rich person. If these are the things that you grew up with, I can show you all the word for word scripts and it will never hit you here and here. And so now you have to master your psychology. And once you do that, the tactics are so easy. It's, it's a six week program, you follow it, I mean, it's easy. But the hard part is to look inside and say, what are my invisible beliefs that I have about money? And what might be actually causing me to do certain peculiar behaviors that are a result of what I learned when I was seven years old? What's the biggest hurdle? Like you, you've, you know, you've got millions of readers on the blog, hundreds yeah. of thousands of, of folks in your email list. You clearly get a lot of inbound in information. Yeah, and I read everyone's email. In fact, I have my email address in page one of the book, and I tell people to email me because I want to know where they're starting their journey. That's crazy. And the last page, I tell them to email me again. And I want it, that's my greatest dream is for people watching this, six weeks from now, go through the program and email me and tell me what you changed in your life. Wow. So I do get that data. Okay, so you have that, but what's, what is the biggest hurdle? Yeah. And I don't care if it's going from zero to one, just starting or that people overlook when they're trying to get better. Um, the, the biggest hurdle I've seen, if you boil it down, you know, people will write in different things. Uh, some of the examples are, um, must be nice to be able to save $100 a month. I can't even afford 50 cents. This is like a classic millennial thing, like a race to the bottom. Yeah. Uh, and I, I wrote victim culture. Like, I have zero tolerance for it. Um, another thing that people write is, like, I made a ton of mistakes when I was in my 20s, and now I feel like it's too late. Classic, right? Yeah. If you boil it all down, and if you see enough of these, you start to get an eagle's yeah, eye view. Yeah, that's why I'm asking. The, com the most common thing is, I don't believe that I can do it. And I understand why. If anything, yeah. over the last 10 years, I've become so much more compassionate about money and so yeah. much less judgmental. Because I know, I have, I've heard every story under the sun, right? Yeah. Guy's making a million dollars a year, he's living check to check. 10 years ago, I would have said, <gasps> like, oh my God, so stupid. Now I'm like, I get it. I know exactly how that happens. And I also know that with a couple of changes, you could fix it. So when people don't believe in themselves, there's so many logical reasons why. Um, probably they were raised with poor money behaviors. Why? Because their parents didn't read this book either. <laughs> the parents are just trying to do the best they can. So you grew up playing the game of telephone from what your parents had learned, 
and then you pick up certain behaviors, and then you have Wall Street tripping near you saying you need to buy these bullshit annuities and all these things that you don't need. And finally, you've got your friends, right, who are saying, they're not trying to lead you astray, but accidentally friends will say things like, oh wow, that's a pretty old iPhone. <laughs> oh, really? What? Like that, yeah. that little thing can cause you to completely change your money behavior because of what random person said to you, or, or how about this one? Oh wow, you own a place, you own that place? Ooh, that feels good. So suddenly we believe that real estate is the best investment, which it's often not. So these little things we pick up on, right? We're like, we sniff around. And especially in parts of life that we don't fully understand, we're looking for cues that tell us what's right and wrong. Yeah. But that's not a good way to go about life, especially yeah. for something like money, which yeah. is core to life. It makes sense to spend a weekend, read a book, etc. So when people don't believe in themselves, there's a lot of reasons why. What I try to do is say, you can believe in yourself. It doesn't matter if you're $235,000 in student loan debt, like somebody I just talked to recently, or you're making $400,000 a year, but your money's all sitting in cash. Either way, there's a lot of, uh, of positive future for you if you believe that you can do it. So, thank you for that. Can, can I confess something? Please, we wanna talk money confessions today. Yeah, so, um... I know you did this on a, a different stop and I was inspired to know that, that we could all confess to Ramit and we could go to Ramit, like the school of Ramit <laughs> and he would, he would fix our problems. So um, I was raised mm. with um, both parents. I grew up I'm very fortunate. My parents are together, middle, lower middle class. Um, I didn't want for a lot, but it was because my parents were very, very frugal. And I, my dad was largely like your mom's got this on lockdown. Mm. And to, to, um, to her credit, I was never hungry. I, you know, I, I could play the sports that I wanted to. And I didn't, didn't, I, I did have Nikes with the upside down swoosh and I had Adidas with four stripes. True, <laughs> true stories. And I was like, how come my Nikes have two eyes in them? Like, <laughs> but, um, and so that there's a frugality. My, like the, the heat is on at 62 degrees yes. in the middle of winter. And it doesn't, if you're cold, go put a sweater on. Mm -hmm. And knowing that I didn't want for much, I can look back and say, wow, that's amazing that, that um, I was raised like that. But it created a set of behaviors for me personally. Like what? That are, were very antithetical to that. So the fact that we you know, saved all our money and that the heat was on 62, what am I? I'm like opposite guy. Oh, like, really? Whatever, like whatever, I'll, 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 I'm not frugal. Yes. I will, it, it created uh, some very uh, expensive spending habits younger in life. Okay. And so it's, it's a little bit of a reaction to the way I was raised. Like I'm, I was raised this way and I'm gonna do everything I can to avoid that. Right, and despite okay. like I had a pretty, I had it pretty good. Yeah. But there was this something in there that yeah. felt like it didn't feel like abundance. Yes. And but with abundance, when you don't actually have the money, that's a problem, right? <laughs> so that's like half the people on Instagram. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So, so, like, um, if, if this is my confession, yeah, uh, and, and I guess I'll, the, the extension to that confession is that uh, I carried that into my married life. What, what does that mean? So my wife Kate is uh, awesome, of course. She's amazing. You know, you know Kate. She. And I, ironically, 10 years into our marriage, so we've been married 20 years, 
10 years in, we had this conversation. Wow. And I'm like, why are you freaking out? And she's like, why are you spending all our money? Mm. <laughs> so, te- so 10 years, hold on, I gotta ask yeah. a couple questions. Okay. So um, you're married for 10 years. This is what years. I was worried about. This is amazing. Okay, so you're married for 10 years. Yeah. And everything's super good. It's be, good? Yeah, super good. Had you talked about money before? Zero. Wow, wow, wow. And Zero. did you think that was normal? Um, yeah, because I think to me, and maybe that was because of the attitude toward money that I had when I was raised, that I didn't, it wasn't something, it was just like, it was on lockdown, it was controlled, it was very, it was a very sort of narrow focused mindset. And so to me, it was just a thing that happened and you didn't really, it was not something to be managed. So, and then you grew up this sort of frugal slash ultra frugal life. Yeah. Then you were reacting to it. You said, I'm going to spend a ton. So now in this first 10 years of marriage, yeah. what are you doing behaviorally with money? Um, I just, I think that it, well, two things. One, we hadn't really had real conversations about it. Yeah. We pulled our money and it was fine. And, and we did, the only thing that we did do is decide the things that we were okay, like health, like yeah. you could spend whatever on mm-hmm. health. But besides that, we didn't have a lot of guidelines. Perfect. And, and so like, when we did have the conversation and, and Kate brought it up and she's like, I, I basically, I'm, that's scary behavior to me. And I, you know, I was like speaking of real estate, I want to invest, I wanted to get aggressive growing our business, which yeah. you know, turned into Creative Live. And, and, and to me, that was just a, I had, a, I had confidence that I could earn money, mm. but I was worried uh, only about this new reaction that I saw from my wife. So I know in the book, you also talk about having money conversations oh. with Cass. Well, that's my confession. <laughs> I mean, it's like therapy here, right? I know. Um, first of all, I think I just think that's amazing, and I think your story is so surprising, but also so unsurprising. Ten years in, the fact that you are having these conversations for the first time is amazing. But then I think that most people who I speak to have never had that conversation, and um, and I appreciate you being candid about yeah. it. I mean, uh, you also come from. A very a, a unique background, which is frugal, and now you're an entrepreneur. Yeah. Where by definition you're creating abundance. Yeah. So it's no surprise that any partner would find that challenging, and there's a certain psychological mindset there. Can I ask? So you're saying it's it's not all that weird, but it's weird. How many people haven't had like a real sit down? This is how our money works with their partner, or significant other. Hands up. Oh yeah, man, I'm a freak. So there's like five of us. We're going to hang out later. Yeah. Okay. We're gonna- I mean, I, I'll tell you that the people I talk to, um, <clears throat> they don't know how to talk about it. Yeah. It's hard to have a, an uncomfortable conversation with someone else. We talk about lots of other stuff, but it was like money was the, and it, it didn't feel taboo in any way. Yeah. Like we weren't, we weren't super poor, but we weren't, you know, weren't wealthy. Like, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I, I get it. It's just, you also don't know how to have the conversation with someone else because you're not even sure what you think about it. Yeah. If you don't have a point of view on something- goes, uh, It goes back to your point of view thing. How, okay. how are you gonna, what are you gonna talk to? The only place it can probably go is bad. Yeah. So like, that's eh, fine, things are good enough. Like, let's, mm-hmm. let's just keep doing it. I mean, I remember Cass coming to me years ago when we were dating and asking for some uh, help with her 401k. Okay. And I said, uh, read this book first. <laughs> <laughs> Sold it. I gave her the first, yeah, her first 20, edition. $22 yeah. book. Yeah, get her by this. So, so she came back and we, we started talking more about it. And, um, and I thought that was that. Like I helped her, I helped her solve the problem, like check. And then I think, um, boy, like a year or so later, 
she said, you know, I don't really feel like it's fair because I shared everything about my finances with you and you didn't, I don't know anything about your finances. Ooh. And I was like, oh shit. <laughs> Number one, not a good place to be. Number two, I violated my own advice, yeah. which is to talk about money. And, and that made me feel, it made me realize, putting myself in her shoes, that that is not fair. It's not fair to feel like you've opened everything up and the other person has not. And so we had that conversation that day, that day. And um, I remember it being actually an amazing conversation. Yeah. So my, I think, um, I have to admit, I didn't take my own advice on that and I regret it. And I, as I had that conversation, as we had even more difficult conversations, as we started to put our money together, think about getting married and to get married, I realized, man, the advice out there on couples and money, on love and money is so generic. They, they say stuff like, have the conversation. I'm like, what, what conversation? conversation? Like, tell me the words. I need to know the words. Tell me what she's gonna say or what he's gonna say. I wanna know. Cause that's what I did with the negotiation stuff and yeah. all the script stuff. But there's nothing like that. It's just this generic stuff. And when you're trying to do something that's uncomfortable, you want, at least I want as much guidance as, I want someone who's yeah. done it to tell me this, what you need to know. Right. In fact, even backstage, you're like, okay, you're going to come up two stairs. <laughs> da, 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 da. I'm like, yes, tell me everything. I love yeah. it. Like, it. It's a certain type it's of It's true. Person. We all just confess. We went through that little thing like three times. Like, no, I'm going to stand right here and you're going to come up. We're going to do this. But it's cool. It's interesting that, that you yeah. like you do. You want a script. You yeah. want some guidance on especially things that are taboo or weird or new for you. Yeah. The money I, stuff was new for me. Yeah. Getting on stage. I've been on stage a thousand times. Yes. He's been on the stage once. So I, I get it. I get it. Totally. And I think um, part, of, part of my rich life for myself and for my students and people watching is to demystify what it takes to be successful. Like if you didn't know you would think that, oh, everyone else is just having these conversations with their partner and like they just know and I just feel horrible. Like it's not just you. Yeah. Everyone else is struggling through it. And so what I wanted to do in chapter nine was to shine a light on the things that are not talked about. In fact, the things that are often taboo, things like signing a prenup, things like talking about money with your parents. I mean, how many of us have parents in this room that you're a little concerned about? You might have to talk to them about their financial situation. Anybody, look at that. It's gonna, it's yeah. gonna get bigger and bigger, right? And it happens with so many of us. Does anybody know how to have that conversation? No. So I wanted to shine that light in this book. And um, I think just like the overall message is if you feel alone, if you feel that you're uncomfortable, I wish now that I'd had that conversation earlier with Cass. Yeah. And, and that's in the past. Now we focus on what we can control. And so for everyone watching, having that conversation, whether things are good, whether they're not, yeah. there's always a better place you can go to. Awesome. Yeah. So speaking of scripts, yeah. uh, one of the things that I think our, one of our original conversations was a script about um, the psychology of money. And you, your background is in, is it behavioral psychology? Is that right? Social psychology. Social psychology. Yeah. So what are some social psychological patterns that, again, this is not the hurdle that we need to get over. What are some patterns that are the most common that you've seen that, uh, that your book or your teaching, you're trying to get people out of that pattern, <laughs> the psychological pattern. Oh my God, and so it's so funny because just today, I posted on my Instagram account some, psych some psychology of money things. And one thing that we love to do, it's in our human nature, is to feel superior to other people. I'll give you, I'll give you a script. 
Um, I'm in $3,000 of credit card debt, but at least I don't have $15,000 like Michelle over there. Makes us feel so good about ourselves. Doesn't matter where we are in life, we can find someone who's worse off than us and it makes us feel good. And you might find yourself doing this in surprising ways. For example, oh, I have a 34% savings rate. <laughs> that person just blows all their money. People actually feel superior because of how much they save. And my message to people is like, you're not superior to anyone because of your savings rate or because of how little credit card debt you have or how sophisticated you are. What I want to challenge people to do is to show those scripts that we all have. And that's what I found out after 10 years of research, yeah. the scripts that people have about their money. Some of them are, it's too late. I'm 50, will this work for me? Well, the answer is 50, first of all, is pretty young. And second of all, absolutely there are things. Now, I will tell you, if you're older and you haven't taken advantage of all the things that you could have, it's gonna be hard. And I'm not gonna blow smoke up anyone's anything. It's yeah. gonna be hard, but there are things you can do at any age. There are things you can do if you live in Spain or Iceland. I get those questions a lot too. We call it special snowflake syndrome. Hey, this book sounds great and it's helped hundreds of thousands of people and you have a million readers a month, but uh, I have, I'm left-handed, I'm albino, I live south of the equator, I don't think it's gonna work for me. That's that whole thing about believing in yourself. If you're looking for a way to not believe in yourself, trust me, you will find, you will find it. it. But if you believe, you know what? This is the way that my students and that top performers I've seen do it. They say, you know what? Other people have succeeded, so I can too. Simple as that. All right, we're gonna play a game. I'm gonna flip to a random page. <laughs> Wait, what is this? Reviewing your credit card bill. Oh, okay. Tell me what I need to review on my credit this card This is like bill. a quiz to see if I actually wrote the book. <laughs> <laughs> the good news is I did write yes. it. Yes. Okay, I'll tell you, I'll tell you sure. about that. So yeah. here, this is a fun game. Yes, I can't wait. I thought you were gonna one. make me come, like, like repeat the joke on whatever page. No, like, no, that's no. Hard. You're, you're... So here's the fun thing about reviewing your credit card bill. I used to review every single charge at the end of the week. Why? Because I was looking for some waiter or waitress that unscrupulously added $5 to their tips. Does anybody here do this? <laughs> wow, a lot of people. Yeah. Okay, here's what I learned. And this is, this is a bit surprising, it's funny. Okay, it's funny, now I don't. And does it mean that I've missed maybe getting you know, ripped off for $10 or maybe getting charged for a subscription that I meant to cancel six months ago? Yes, maybe it does. But what I've learned is the more successful you get financially, the less you need or should pay attention to certain things. For example, when somebody comes to me and they say, Ramit, you know, I'm really debating whether to buy this scarf or something like that, and it's you know, $50, and their household income is $280,000, I say, why are we talking about this? <laughs> we shouldn't be, we actually should not be talking about things that are below our threshold. If it's below us, do you talk about the pennies you found in your couch? No. At a certain level, something that may have been really important to you, to me, mm -hmm. it was checking those credit card receipts, it's just not. And the truth is, the more you grow financially, or, or whether it's athletically or whatever, there are gonna be certain looseness in your system. You might waste a little bit here and there. I'm not saying be totally wasteful. I'm saying focus on the bigger things. Instead of asking $3 questions, ask $30,000 or $300,000 questions. What do you do if your partner spends money irresponsibly? Ooh. Okay, I got, I got an amazing Instagram DM 
from a woman who said, Ramit, my husband spends way too much money on iced tea. And I was like, <laughs> How here we go. How iced tea could you possibly Man, I was like, this is what I live for. So, so I had to play, I go, really? I go, how much? How much does he spend? And she goes, he buys it like 20 times a month. I said, 20? How much? How much is this iced tea? And uh, she goes, 150 each time. And I said, oh my God. I said, hey, out of curiosity, what's your household income? What do you think she says? Any guesses on what her household grand. income is? 60 grand, what else? 150? She lives in New York with her husband. Huh. Okay. 600 grand. Now, listen, okay, so all the gasps in the room. Fascinating. Now, why, why, what's going on here? The $20 a month on the iced tea is not the point. In fact, it's literally a rounding error for their household income of $600,000. We should not be talking about it. And yet she took the time, her first DM to me. <laughs> she came out of the blue to DM me and complain about this. Obviously, there's something going on. Now, I don't think she's stupid. I think that they have different money values and I think they've never had the conversation. They're playing whack-a-mole. She's playing whack-a-mole on iced tea. Why? Because if I were to ask 10 more questions, I would find out, I'm sure. She grew up in a household that was frugal. They made their own iced tea. They never ate out at restaurants. All this sounds familiar to me. That's pretty much how I grew up. And it's wasteful. If I talked to her husband, I would find out that he works in finance. He and she both earn a lot. And he says to himself, I, it's the one thing I have in life in the morning that makes me happy. And so I'm gonna spend it. And why are we even talking about this? They are having different conversations. They're operating at this level down here. They're never getting up here and saying, what matters to us? What is our rich life? Where do we want to go for values. a trip? Our values. Yeah. And so they'll spend the rest of their lives arguing about a $1.50 purchase, just like many of us argue about lattes or whatever it is we argue about with ourselves. Should I buy this jacket? When we never take a second and say, what are my values? That's where we should be living, not down here. So you said in your honeymoon, for example, I'm gonna push on this a little bit. Yeah. Like I value great design. I remember yeah. you saw the leather, you went to the leather crafting place in Italy. Yeah. You know, you, you, and so is that a thing you had a conversation with Cass and you realized like, I love design and I'm gonna overspend on having designed things in my life. And yeah. you talked a lot about spaces. One of the reasons that we're here yes. because this stuff matters to you. Yes. So talk to me about, about how, how you choose your values, less about your specific values, mm. unless you want to go into it, but mostly like, because what, what do we value? You don't actually understand that stuff unless you take the time to ask yourself the question and maybe even write it down. Absolutely. Um, what I've found is that most of us don't think about what we love because we're so busy thinking about what we can't do. I can't do this, I'm not allowed to do that. Ah, if my rich life is just to pay off debt. That's what a lot of people say. I said, what a dim dream. If that's your rich life to be debt free, it's no surprise that you have debt. Because who gets up in the morning to pay off their debt? I want you to pay off your debt. I show you how to make an aggressive plan, but there's gotta be something beyond that. Yeah. Now, how do you find your values? I think first of all, we all have the things that we value inside, but carving them out past all these invisible scripts that we have is very difficult. I love a beautiful uh, uh, leather jacket or dress or whatever it may be. Fashion. Fashion. Okay. But society tells me that's shallow. And so that's an invisible script that we have to confront, right? I spoke to another woman who told me, she said, Ramit, I'd like to know how to find out what I should spend more on. I said, well, tell me 
like, what do you do? She goes, I, I go to Starbucks once every couple weeks with my husband, we buy whatever we want. I said, okay, that's good, what else? And she goes, I don't know, I don't know what else to do. So I was in a chat room with some other people. I said, hey guys, what do you think that she should spend on? And they gave her these predictable you know, things. Um, massage, facial, da 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 da. And she wasn't, she's like, I already do all that stuff. I'm like, okay, first of all, that's cool. Yeah. What else? And then she said something to me that's very interesting. I said, tell me about your life. What do you wake up? What does your house look like? She said, I have three kids, my house, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on. I said, okay, what does that feel like? She goes, it feels like constricting to have all this mess around. I said, what would it feel like to have a really clean house? And she said, oh my, it would feel amazing. And I said, okay, what would, what would that entail for money? And she said, oh, I guess I could hire somebody. I said, yeah, tell me more. She spent the next two minutes telling me, well, I could hire someone to come clean my house, but I have three kids and I'm teaching them to clean. So they clean and they do this and then, then, then. and I say, how does it work out? She's like, it's not that clean, but I'm teaching. <laughs> and at the end of the two minutes, I said to her, I said, congratulations. You just told me something you would love to do. And then you spent the next two minutes talking yourself out of it. So many of our values are inside of us. She already knew that her dream, which is such a modest dream, to hire someone to come in once a week, once every two weeks, she could pay for it, she had the money, but she talked herself out of it. Why? I'm not the kind of person who needs that. That's shallow. And every single one of us has done something like that. So for your values, I would say, just close your eyes and imagine, if I could spend anything and nobody would know, what would it be? If I could spend anything and everybody would know, what would it be? If I could spend something and somebody I respect could say, wow, that is really amazing, what would that feel like? Now you're gonna have some clues as to where to go next. Huge, yeah. awesome. All right, so we've talked about how it's not about saving $5 a day on lattes, that's a fool's errand. Uh, you talk a lot in this book about the big things yeah. and that's really where you're gonna find a way to save money uh, you, you earn money. Earn money. Yeah. You also, yeah, earn more money rather than save more money. Um, but you also, for example, the common go-to you already mentioned it once is real estate. Yep. Talk to me again. This is that same game here. How to save big? Or how to save thousands rather on big-ticket items? Okay. Most of us spend too much time on little items, and we spend entirely too little time on the big items. So if you think about it, we spend a lot of time going on Yelp and looking for what restaurant we should go to for sushi, and yet when we go to buy a house, or get married, or buy a car, we just kind of go with the flow, like we're floating down a river. And what I want people to think about is, in my life, I picked a few restaurants or a few coffee shops. If I have a meeting with somebody, we're going to those coffee shops. It's simple. And if I need to go to them, I'll go to them, but otherwise, I don't want to think I don't wanna spend my limited time picking coffee shops and sushi places. I picked them, I know them, good. When it comes to buying a house, I want to challenge people to think, first of all, should you buy a house? Just as an interesting counterpoint to a lot of American culture, the American dream supposedly is to buy a house. I rent on purpose, I live in Manhattan, and when you tell people that you rent when you could afford to buy, they're like, what are you talking about? And what I talk about in the book is that real estate is not always the best investment. And I challenge people to run the numbers and to realize there's every incentive in this country to get you to buy a house. Everybody wants you to buy a house because they get a little piece of your money, all right? But nobody's telling you what the truth is and, and challenging you to run your own numbers. When it comes to these big purchases, you should be fairly close to being an expert. 
You should have your own model. You should have talked to people who are 10 years older. You should say, tell me what you wish you knew when you bought a house. Tell me the expenses that nobody told you about that you've had to save. Oh my God, your roof, your fridge, your walls. Okay, wow, I gotta factor that in. If you're not doing this because it sounds hard, then you're not ready to buy a house. If you don't have 20% down, if you can't commit to living in that city for at least 10 years, then you're not ready to buy a house. These little rules and guidelines are the kind of rules of thumb that you should be setting up for the biggest purchases in your life. And if you get those right, that's worth 20, 50, $300,000, which is more than any amount of lattes you can buy in your entire life. There's a lot of lattes. Man, I get a little yeah. passionate because I, I hate liars and I hate bullies. I just hate them. And when I started just going through the financial industry, that's what you find a lot of, is bullies telling you you're not good enough because you haven't done this, this, this. And liars telling you, you need annuities, you need this account, you need that, you need to buy a house because it's the American dream. That's a lie. The American dream is your dream. And your dream could be buying a house and 2.5 kids and a white picket fence. It could be no kids traveling around. It could be doing whatever you want. So that's what my challenge is for people is your rich life, whatever your dream is, you can create it, but don't listen to somebody telling you, you need to do this. No, you need to create your own rich life. What's changing the fastest right now? Obviously, uh, you know, politically, it's a very charged climate right now, yeah. the globalization movement, uh, but things like crypto and finances and or crypto and, and uh, savings and how uh, like Apple, now you don't even have to have the Apple credit card. You don't even have to have an, uh, a credit card, right? It's just yeah. your phone. You are your credit card. Yeah. So what, what's changing the fastest mm. that puts is like as a radar or it's an, it's an item on your radar that other people might not be watching? For? Uh, this is a this is a great question. I remember. I'm a professional. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, you know. I think I might have an answer that might surprise some people. So, um, ten years ago when this book came out, there were a lot of people who were in challenging times. And I remember uh, going around to these local newscasts and the anchors were like, why are you talking about investing? We have 10% unemployment. Like you, people want to know how to save money. They wanted me to give them tips on laundry detergent. I'm like, I don't want to talk about this. Let's talk about growing and all that stuff. And time has proven that to be fortunately correct. But now there is a change in the culture that I've seen, which is um, there are some real systemic problems that have come about, right? Inequality, student loan debt. These are real problems, 100%. And I talk about those uh, to some extent in the book. But my place on this planet is not to solve those problems. It's to work with people one-on-one. -on -one. That's why I'm in this room today, okay? My, I can't change those systemic problems. I can change you and you and you and what you do with money, and you can model that for your communities. So I've realized now there's an increasing movement where people victimize themselves. They say, there's no way I can do that. Must be nice. I can't do that because of X, Y, Z. And I have zero tolerance for it. I really don't. I, I, I will say there are systemic problems. We should work on those. We should address those. And we should also focus on improving our own situations. So I would challenge everyone, be careful about the echo chamber you surround yourself with. Yeah. For example, creatives love to complain about how hard it is to raise their prices. Yeah. Be mindful. If you're getting together with your friends and only complaining about how hard it is, maybe it's time to add a new group of people you hang around with. Whether that's on YouTube comments, Reddit, your friends when you're having happy hour, be mindful because there is a group of people like the people in this room yep. 
who said, I want to create a rich life and I'm going to do it. And these are the people you want to be hanging around with. You, in a previous episode, when we sat down for 90 minutes, or it may have been in your Creative Live class, you, you, you gave uh, a script yeah. to, uh, I think, a question that I had taken online. And earlier we did a little Instagram Live just hanging out. And I got a bunch of questions, one of which I want to revisit right now, okay. which is it is that script that, again, one of the reasons we come to you is because you've given us this insight. Like I gave you how to walk up on the stage here. Thank God. What, <laughs> you made it. You're safe. You're safe. <laughs> Um, let's just go down one script for a second cool. around increasing your salary. I think yes. I, I love the abundance mentality and I think most people were caught in, I sign up for this job and this job has a certain pay, but I remember so vividly you unlocked this particular challenge for someone and they came back with a report of, I think it was $22,000 raise they got by using a script. So let's ask the people in the room here, who here has used any, I will teach you be rich material to increase your earnings. Look at that, amazing, amazing. Okay, so give us a script. And this is a like test piece for the people at home. Please. For whom, for whom this might be new. Love it. New, new territory So for them. all my material is field tested. So by the time you ever see it, it's been tested by hundreds or thousands of other people, right? And that's, that's our philosophy. Um, when it comes to increasing your salary, the common belief people have is, I gotta kick down my boss's door and say, give me money. And then my boss is gonna say, get the hell out of here, you're fired. Of course you're gonna be fired if you do that. That's not the way you ask for an increase. A different way is a multi-step process. So let me break it down rapidly. And then you, know, you can search online or look in the book for the more sure. details. The first thing you do is you send an email to your boss and you say, you know what? I'd love to sit down with you and talk about what it takes to be a top performer in my role. Would you be willing to chat next Friday at 3 p.m.? Of course, you go in the meeting, you say, you know what? I don't wanna just do an adequate job here. I don't even wanna do a good job. I wanna be amazing at my job. I wanna make your life easier from me doing my job. So FY, I know this FY, is a bit FY, unusual. That's a really good line. The boss is loving it. No one's ever come into the boss and said this. So you say, you know, I have a few ideas of what might be excellent, but I wonder if you'd be willing to share some of your ideas with me. And of course, you have a piece of paper that you've already brought with notes on it. You theatrically pull it out of your briefcase or whatever bag you've got, uh, and, and your boss is already, the boss hasn't even said a thing, they're impressed. So, you know, maybe you end up concluding, oh, instead of going for 4% improvement on this project, I need to go for 7%, and XYZ, you write it down, you say, great, I'll tell you what, I'm gonna work on these, I feel confident about it, I feel good, I have the resources. If I can exceed expectations on all these three things, I'd love to come back to you in six months and discuss salary adjustment. But let's not talk about the salary part until that happens. Would that be okay with you? Notice that at each step, I'm being super gradual. Can I come in for a meeting? Can you help me walk through? Can we talk about it? But later. Boss like, yes, yes, yes. See you later. So you go back to your desk. You document it all. Sent, I'm excited. Da, 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 da. I'll update you in two weeks. Great. Now, this is the hard work. You got to actually do it. You actually have to, you actually <laughs> have to, have to be, be good. Awesome, right? There's no secret trick to suck and then get a $10,000 raise. You need to be good. So you have to exceed the expectations. You update your boss, I would say every week, some people prefer every two, but every Friday, you know, just wanna uh, summarize, we talked about these three things, here's where I am, here's what's coming next week. Boom, boss is loving it, feeling good. Let's, let's fast forward to the end. Six months later, eight months later, you've hit your numbers, okay? Now you're going in, now you're going in for the real meeting, okay? This is where, when I say 85% of the work is done before you ever set foot in the room, this is what I'm talking about. 
The end result is just details. You've already done all the hard work. So you've researched your salary now at salary.com, payscale.com, whatever places. You've documented all the work you've done. If you're really smart, not only have you gotten feedback from your coworkers, you may have even asked one or two of your coworkers to quietly send a note to your boss and say, hey, I know that Ramit is coming in there to have a meeting with you on Friday. I just wanted to let you know that he has been an absolute privilege to work with. By the way, he single-handedly improved conversions, 4%. All right, you've engineered success for yourself. You walk in, you say, you know what? I'm so excited to talk to you. Six months ago, we sat down, we discussed these three things. I'd like to actually share the numbers, although you already know them, but I think it's fun. Boom, briefcase, pull it out. One, crushed it. Two, destroyed it. Three, awesome. And you know, you're getting excited, your boss getting excited, and you say, how do you feel, da 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 You're celebrating, right? There's just one other thing. Six months ago, we also discussed a salary adjustment. I'd like to have that conversation. And I brought some information to make it easier for us. The real briefcase now, boom, pull out, a document that shows how much you are paid in your role. Let's just say for easy math that your current salary is 50K. You discover that you should be paid 56 to 64K. This is a very common thing. People find they're underpaid by six to 12K. And you say, you know, based on my role and responsibility, it looks like the range should actually be XYZ. And based on what I've achieved in the last six months, I believe I should be at the top of that range. What do you think your boss is gonna say at that moment? Your boss loves you, wants to keep you. You made his or her life much easier, and they want you focused on the next thing you're gonna do so they can keep exceeding expectations in their role. You're gonna have a conversation about the plan. You will very likely get a large raise. You may not get everything you want, but even if the boss says, well, I can't do that, I can do this, or hey, we're gonna have to wait X months, I show you how to negotiate that stuff right there. This is how you negotiate your salary. This is also how you negotiate higher rates with clients. It's all about doing the work that others will not do. And you can see, ultimately, I gave you the perfect words to use, but there's no tricks and no secrets. The the real secret is actually out-preparing everyone else and then getting paid at the top of the range. That's how you do it. That is just one little sample of why we love this man. (laughs) Thank you so much for sharing the tactics. I was very inspired by the values conversation. Anyone else gonna walk away and think about what they care to spend money on, what's meaningful to them, where they wanna overspend by four times? Is that what it was? Yeah. Quadruple that spending, eight sobs for you in the back. (laughs) (laughs) If we could please give a super warm thank you, uh, applause, a creative live thank you to our dear friend and guru of finance, Mr. Ramit Sethi. Round of applause. All right, that about wraps it up. But uh, hey, before you bounce, two quick things. Um, Actually, I'm going to go three quick things. Thing one, A, thank you so much for being a part of this community. And I'm not quite sure how you you landed on this podcast. It doesn't matter to me. The fact that we're all in this together and that we're able to have a conversation is awesome. I feel uh, honored to be in your ears right now and that uh, you've paid attention to what I've been doing, what Creative Live has been doing for some time. And whether it's been a day or 10 years, I just want to say thank you. It's also really important to know on the backside of that, that I, I do a lot of responding to comments. So hit me up, on, you know, direct message me on, on Instagram or Twitter or at me. 
I try and respond as much as possible. So let's have a conversation that transcends me just being in your ears here. Let's try and do it some, somewhere out there in, on the internet land. That's thing one. Thing two, again, I'm not quite sure what channels you pay attention to me and my work, but please go check out. I'm at Chase Jarvis or slash Chase Jarvis or whatever on all the platforms. And it's really important to me. Also, if you wouldn't mind checking out Creative Live, it's something that not only myself, but 120 other committed hardcore badass people come to work every day uh, to build the place where creators and entrepreneurs learn. So check that out. They're just slash creative live or at creative live all over out there on the internet. All right. Until again, uh, probably tomorrow. I hope I'll hear you. I'll be in your ears maybe tomorrow and I'll look for your comments on the internets. Bye.